this is part two of Naming Names. Hey, welcome back to the Restless Podcast, the post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed, where last week we promised we were going to name names, but we didn't. That's right. We made a mistake and recorded a bit too much, and it just was not going to work well. So what we did is we cut that. Uh, We uh, kind of ended with a, a few thoughts last week about why it is sometimes difficult to hear a critique of some of the bigger names that we follow. And now, finally, we're going to jump back in with past Michael and past Matt uh, as they are about to actually do the naming of names, walking through the the early uh, movers and shakers of the young, restless, and reform movement. Yeah, our conversation is organized around the major figures of Colin Hansen's book, The Young, Restless, and Reformed. There, it's a great way to organize a book, but as we talked about the personality drivenness of this movement, there might be another reason his book is organized around these major figures. So without further ado, let's listen to Matt and Michael name some names. There are so many names listed in this book. And like I said, we just, because we are doing a a short podcast episode to introduce you, even the idea that we're going to name names, we're going to work through these characters, right? There are just so many names named, right? We have uh, names we're not going to get to today. Steve Lawson, Tom Askell, Curtis Allen, Tim Challies, even Tim Keller. I I mean, a huge name, um, but we're not going to get to him. DG Hart, Mike Horton. All of these names that are related, some of them are critics, some of them are involved, um, but they're they're not the names we're going to start with. So let's start with a name that actually I would guess, unless you are you've been around the block for a while with New Calvinists, you don't know Louis Giglio. Michael, do you have any? Do you know who? Do you know who Louis Giglio is? So I know who he is. I've actually read a Louis Giglio book. I don't okay. remember. I don't think it was indescribable. I, I read a short book once by Louis Giglio and I remember it being, you know, very helpful. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember why it was helpful. I just remember thinking that it was a, you know, a, a powerful little book at the time that I read it. And I just, I, I have seen or uh, heard, uh, I think I've watched a series by him where he's talking about certain aspects of the solar system and about how great God is and how amazing he is. And creating all these things and how unbelievable it is that, you know, he made us in this universe and we're so small and look at how, you know, vast the cosmos is. Uh, I remember a little bit of that, but other than that, man, this is like a, this is a name from my past where it's like, Oh yeah, I feel like I, like I knew that guy once, but I don't remember much. It's like someone I went to high school with, right? Like you'd bring up their name and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I've heard that name. And I think I know that we interacted in the past but it's been so long now that I really don't know anything about them. Yeah. I, I, I think that's close, right? Um, he, he is brought in to the new Calvinist movement because he was the organizer of the passion conference where, which turned into a pretty big gathering ground for people kind of exposed to the five points of Calvinism Um, specifically because I think for a number of years, John Piper went every single year. I think Louis Giglio um, has kind of come and gone. I think he, he has just kind of continued on his, 
his way, right? He was just, you know, he's, he's just a big gatherer of people. And at that point, the, the big group together were the new Calvinists. And I think he's kind of continued on. I do remember he was in some kind of trouble recently uh, with the kind of social justice crowd because oh, yeah. of uh, some tweet that he did about white privilege. I don't remember the details of it, but I just remember, I just remember seeing his name and thinking, oh, Louis Giglio, I haven't heard that name for a long time. Yeah. You know, I think when we think about, uh, at least when we think about these names, let's try and play some, Michael, what do you think about these count- categories? One, the category is you are still welcome in the the gospel coalition circuits. The second one is you are you are rebranding for another crowd. Or three, you are uh, gone, maybe not forgotten though. Right? You are out, right? You are out. What do you think? Do you think those categories? And so the reason I'm choosing those categories is because I think we can do those objectively and they have no bearing on if Michael and I are personal fans or not of any of these people because I think there's plenty. Uh, I'll guess I'll, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table today, Michael. I think there is plenty going on in the Gospel Coalition circles in desperate need of critique. I think that's a helpful way to do it. I think uh, breaking it down as, you know, kind of they've, they're still there. They uh, are uh, gone or they've kind of gone their own way and starting their own kind of thing. And so where would, where would we put Louis Giglio on that? I, think, I feel like rebrand. I mean, not I think that- he, yeah, I think he is right. I don't think he's going to be asked to blog at the gospel coalition. I don't think he's going to be asked to speak at those conferences, but he still has his, following of people they might still have those conferences for all i know probably friendly right like friendly with you know piper and others you know probably not like there's any kind of major heat or disagreement right so the so the big reason though louis giglio gets press for the new calvinist is because of his introduction of john piper to a wide wide audience of students thousands and thousands of students so especially a young audience. That's right. So John Piper obviously was a pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church, starts Desiring God based on his kind of breakout success book. He's now retired and now uh, blogs occasionally on <laughs> with ideas I find questionable. But uh, yeah, Michael, what is your... Uh, what is your uh, reaction. I think Colin Hansen thinks this is the big, he is the big deal of the young restless reform movement, at least when this book was written, which was early. Yeah, the shadow of Piper was always over uh, any part of the kind of young restless reformed movement that I was in. And part of that is because I'm from Wisconsin and I'm from just a few hours from the Twin Cities. And so uh, like Piper was close. It wasn't like, here's all of these mega church pastors in the South where they all are, right? Like they just, right. somehow they find them all down there. Uh, it It's not like Bible Belt guy. It's uh, like, oh yeah, John Piper. Like he, we have some of his books in my church library and he's like just kind of up the road from us. And so uh, there was, you know, always uh, interaction. You know, I've known uh, people who have gone to Bethlehem Seminary uh, and been, 
you know, influenced that way or people that are uh, uh, a part of Bethlehem Baptist Church had a lot of friends that were members there uh, over the years. So, uh, you know, that was a much, much closer connection, much closer to home. And I think that even might be part of the reason why Piper is, if you don't agree that Piper deserves to be kind of first on the list, that might be why Colin Hansen does, because I'm pretty sure he was writing this book from Chicago. So I think that he was Midwestern, right? Where, as Michael and I have said multiple times, Reformed theology just isn't, isn't what it is in the South, right? So, so John Piper bringing that up North was a big deal. Right. And uh, should we say, like, even though the, the shadow of Piper was always kind of over the young restless reform movement, uh, I want to differentiate Piper from at least uh, kind of what you and I uh, kind of grew up into, not because he wasn't there and a part of it. He was always there, but I would put Piper in almost like a father role uh, in this movement where, and there are probably several others who are like this, but uh, Piper, especially where he's the one that is, you know, uh, bringing the Driscoll's and Chandler's and others into his conferences and kind of sitting down with and talking to, and he still does this. He's, he's very much, uh, you know, he almost becomes a kind of like pastor of pastors, right? Like a, a pastor of mega church influential pastors. I don't and want he to. He has no uh, regrets. He has no regrets uh, about it. That's for sure. If you don't uh, know what we're talking about uh, during an ask pastor, John, uh, after the kind of uh, Driscoll, I don't know if you call it a meltdown, but after everything went on out in Mars Hill, Somebody asked him, do you have any regrets about welcoming Mark Driscoll in and, you know, bringing him to your conferences and stuff? And uh, he says, John Piper has no regrets. So we use that tagline quite a bit. Yep. We, it, it is, it is merch worthy. No regrets. Quote John Piper. Just, <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah, I think, and obviously I think John Piper is first category for sure. He is welcome right anywhere um and i do think mentioning him in a fatherly role is important because with even the other figures i mentioned j.i packer rc sproul john MacArthur, when they start organizing the gospel coalition conferences right these slightly younger guys who are now you know quite a bit older than michael and i mark dever right albert moeller ligon duncan these kinds of guys when they start organizing these conferences right they all want these fatherly figures to show up the uh, next chapter of his book uh, is maybe this is the point to mention where there are lots of like um, not big names named in this book and I'm not naming them. And I think this is literally part of when Michael and I talk about naming names in public ministry, I have no desire to get, you know, a guy who is willing to talk to a journalist about his, his campus ministry, you know, involved in this, right. Um, and, and, and the next chapter is really a lot about RUF, the PCA. And so the person that uh, I would say becomes prominent in the chapter is Ligon Duncan, who at the time was the pastor of a large church um, in the South and is now the president and chancellor of the Reformed Theological Seminary, where I guess I probably should make note, I am a student. So, so if there is a conflict of interest, that's right. So we'll, 
We'll how, much, Mike... how much tuition are you getting off for saying <laughs> only good things right. about President Duncan? That's, that's a good thing. Please just no one send this to anyone in the RTS faculty. Um, <laughs> Michael, what uh, do you have any any considerations? Because again, I think this one's a say what we will about him. He's he's in the obvious welcome in any venue, any reform venue he wants to show up in there they're going to make room for him. Yeah. He's still very much a big name. He's, uh, he's, uh, uh, still obviously a major player in the PCA, my denomination. And, uh, he is without a doubt, the continues to be a mainstay in those circles. So Legan Duggan is one of the three that helped to establish the T4G, right? Am, am mm-hmm. I right about that? If I remember right. Yep. Uh, or, or four, three or four of them who helped toward that. And, and so he's a major player in that way too. And when you think about the kind of young restless reform conference circuit, right? What, what venues promote your name the most in these circuits? What's well, going to be the gospel coalition together for the gospel and probably desiring God. Those are kind of the three, three big ones that I can think of. Well, the Driscoll's the resurgence, right? But it is. You did have some of that, but I feel like that was like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but that seems like it was more a little bit on the outskirts and Driscoll was brought in to these others. And then that kind of became more popular. I could be wrong about that, but that's, that was my personal experience with it, I guess. We've established how, how hardcore Driscoll a fanboy I was already in this show. So no, no doubt my uh, experience is perhaps not normative. And that does bring us very uh, naturally to the next chapter, which is centered around um, Matt Hall, who's probably not as big of a name, and Albert Moeller. Albert Moeller, obviously, may be up for the um, president of the Southern Baptist Convention next year. And Matt Hall, I believe has been working with him for a long time. I believe he's the Dean of Students at Southern Seminary. I could I could be getting his exact title wrong there, but they've worked together in these in these circles for a long time. Um, and again, he's a he is a he is a welcome in any reformed forum. And here is what I find interesting. The, these if you're like, man, this has been the most vanilla vanilla stuff ever um well wait till we come to the end of this list one everyone listening needs to know a time will come for michael and i to critique even the people we've already listed and we're talking those are the respected names right these are the names of like you're still i'm still learning from them i i literally am learning from one of them right but here's one thing i'll say having been at the head of the new calvinism movement was not bad for your influence in of your ministry. Yeah, so you're saying it was only helpful in that it grew your notoriety, popularity, and maybe maybe you could say it helped uh, break. Like you know, these are men. You think about someone like an Al Mohler. Uh, he is already very influential in the Southern Baptist Convention before the Young Restless Reform Movement. He's already a, an important figure uh, in. Southern Baptist Seminary, things like that. But, uh, and maybe this kind of comes into the, you know, uh, what, what Rob talked about with the first and second waves. So maybe I'm talking from a second wave perspective and Rob can 
email us and tell us why uh, this isn't quite right. But, uh, you know, you already had your kind of uh, influential pocket in these particular denominations, uh, but you then have a little bit more of a, of a breakout into these other circles when you have the conference circuit, when you have the, the internet age bringing all these different names from these different places together, all of a sudden your notoriety and your ability to influence others has bro broken out of just the Southern Baptist Convention or the Baptist General Conference or, you know, uh, the PCA the for Lee right, Duncan, Presbyterian yeah. Church in America. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying that for those that this worked out for, they are now seminary presidents. They are right. Al Mohler is probably the most on cultural issues. One of the most trusted voices in evangelicalism. John Piper is one of the most desirable uh, conference speakers. And so I think that again, whether this was calculated or not, you rode, you rode a wave, you know, probably outside of the areas where you're already very influential. Because obviously, Albert Moeller in the Southern Baptist, Lincoln Duncan in the PCA, they're, they're already very influential in those circles. But this, this confluence, this movement pushed them to a, a level that probably would not have been possible for a Baptist minister or a conservative Presbyterian pastor before. But it did not work out for everyone. So let's let's go to let's do a few more names. The back half of this book. So the next name is C.J. Mahaney. I don't know how many people in our audience will know who that is. Um, I read his book years ago um, called Humility, and have not revisited it, but found it a very helpful book on humility. I think one of the chapters was probably a little weak. One of the chapters, the application of how to grow in humility, is go play golf. What a upper middle class white guy uh, <laughs> application, but I did not pick up golf because I did not read it and did not when I had would have had time or money or the possibility of of golfing. Right. Um, he was the founder of I think the original. I don't know what the original church was named. Um, it's in it's in Colin Hansen's book, but what he's kind of famous for is the Sovereign Grace Church movement he founded, which is I'm a lot of the music that more conservative Calvinist leaving churches sing is from this, this movement. And I mean, this church had tens of thousands, this church movement had tens of thousands of members. CJ Mahaney is, has been kind of thrown over the bus. Are you, are, are you familiar with CJ Mahaney, Michael? A little bit. Yeah. So I, I, uh, you know, I'd listened to some of his, uh, conference sermons and uh, really uh, knew, especially through the music, uh, through Sovereign Grace music. But uh, I also know, I, I don't know much about the situation with him. Uh, mm -hmm. And so he is, he is what we would say is basically rebranding, right? I mean, he's still around. He's still a pastor somewhere, isn't he? Am, am I right about that? He, he is. So he, um, around one of the points of controversy, which again is the, the main thing that came out was an accusation that he and other leaders of the church he was in were covering up abuse cases for people. 
They weren't uh, turning people into the, the police. And for a while, these other big names stood with him. And then famously... I remember couple- when uh, Moeller and yep. Dever uh, came out with a kind of show of support, a letter of support uh, kind of standing with him. Yeah, so they had they apparently had engaged in some investigation. However, and I maybe you remember this. Now did he I mean and he denies this. He, correct. So this 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 is a this is a someday the kind of thing again not with him personally for us to talk through. Um he he denies every single charge lay, leveled against him. Good. So he still has to basically leave the church he's in. Um he steps down from the president of this ministry. He goes and he plants a church in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, where he's still the pastor today, at least as the internet says. But the famous reason, the reason he is, he's either rebranding or he's he's gone but not forgotten is Albert Moeller, even more recently, made a statement saying he regretted supporting him through the accusations. Yeah, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah, so so he is he is right? He's not welcome in their circles anymore. Whether or not he's guilty, we don't know. Obviously, Michael and I don't know. We barely can describe the details of it. So, But he's one of the figures who, around Colin Hansen's book, this is a major player in this movement, but he is no longer a part of it. Yeah, he is. He he was, he is, if I were to pick out the most major players in Colin Hansen's book, it would be John Piper, Al Mohler, C.J. Mahaney, and Mark Driscoll. So he's he, one of the four. Right. He's viewed at the top. And now he's, he's gone. And Michael and I want you to begin to notice that while we do celebrate and we are thankful for the new Calvinism, we're about to, if, you're, if you weren't aware, we're about to make you aware of the side effects long-term for some people have been really bad. I think that really naturally leads us to his ne- the next name which is who C.J. Mahaney chose to be the uh, senior pastor of the church when he left to be the president of this. It wasn't a denomination church association, which is Joshua Harris. So Joshua Harris is C.J. Mahaney's successor at his original church. Yeah, so Joshua Harris, he was, I mean, he was very young, right? When he was very young, he wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, about right. courtship. He wrote several books in that kind of a zone. Right. Kind of he, the dating sack. Is, is he the one that uh, wrote the book? Uh, uh, sex, sex, sex isn't the problem. Lust is. I don't know for sure. You, you can look, I got to look it up. So he, yeah, he comes out of this like conservative um, movement and he like other new Calvinists, yeah, that's Josh Harris. Sorry. There you go. Sorry. I, no, I shouldn't you. have cut you off. I just was oh, that's great. distracted. Didn't realize you were talking. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm glad. So, so yeah, he, he kind of came out of this like purity culture, Christianity, right? He becomes a Calvinist through influences. And again, is probably the natural kind of person you're looking for in a successor. Obviously the guy's well-spoken. Obviously he's proved some level of influence and i mean right the guy's fighting for the like most conservative views on dating and marriage that are imaginable to an evangelical and so he and became, he's selling an absurd amount of books absurdly uh one of the things he's pointed out for in the book for is he was 
hosting and helping arrange conferences for like hip hop artists to come and speak. And right. He is viewed as right. He's viewed as the, like the up and comer. He is viewed as where, where we're going to look. And Joshua Harris, if you don't know, is no longer a Christian. He has uh, denied the faith very publicly uh, for a while. It was what? So first he stepped down to go to seminary yep. and then he stepped aside from that and stepped away from ministry completely. And then he came out as getting a divorce from his wife. And he's also uh, no longer professing faith in Christ. Right. Shortly after was walking in pride parades and things like that. I, and I think the only thing, and I watched it cause I was interested and this was close towards the end. He actually made a movie about all the people I kissed dating goodbye hurt, which you can, mm-hmm. I think still see for free online. Um, yeah, let me just, Michael and I have, have talked that we may go through his entire deconversion um, letter. He kind of posted online uh, because he quotes Martin Luther as a, uh, as supporting of, of, of this. Uh, Michael is just shaking his head. Um, you imagine what, uh, <laughs> what Martin Luther would say to a man like Joshua Harris. Yeah. I'm sure it would not be too flattering. But, but let me just read you a few lines from it so that you um, can just hear like we're, we're not overstating this. We're not, we're not saying this guy stepped down from ministry and became liberal and is still right. This is, this is what he said. The popular phrase for this, speaking of what's happening to him, is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measures I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice the faith, and I would be willing to remain open to this but I am not there now. The guy knew the Bible well enough to know what he was doing. And so Joshua Harris obviously is in this third category. He's gone. He's, he's, he's out. And he's not the only one. I mean, there are sadly young Calvinists that are dead, right? This, there are apostatized. There are fallen out of ministry. Let's come to our last name. So the final name of the book in the chapter, which I believe is called The Missional Mindset. Michael, who is the missional mindset guy of the young Calvinists? Oh, I don't know. Well, it has to be Mark Driscoll. He's the he's the one who knows he's how to the guy. He's the guy. So and he's so, the guy that knows how to appeal to the culture. He's the guy who knows how to we call it engage the culture. Yeah. And honestly, he was very good at it. We've talked about this. Man, he was good at it. So it makes sense that he would be seen as the guy like, man, he is doing it. Like he's He's really, uh, like his podcast is the top podcast on Apple Podcasts. We better uh, talk to that guy. Right. And so Driscoll obviously is planting in a highly secular city, opposed to Christianity in Seattle. He's got, they've planted multi-sites there. He is writing at the Gospel Coalition at that time. Michael and I have both freely admitted it was through um, for me, you know, one of his books and some of his sermons and some clips Michael heard, sermons he heard that got us interested in this, right? Driscoll and, and when uh, Colin Hansen's writing, right, this is just coming close to the rise, the top of Driscoll's rise. And now I think it's needless to say Driscoll is not welcome in their circles anymore. And so yeah, Michael... Maybe not even discussed. I mean, when he is discussed, it is like he is... 
he is a more acceptable person to kind of call out and uh, talk about his, you know, vulgarity and fall and all of that. Uh, you can kind of talk about him a little bit more. Uh, but a lot of the time it seems like you'd just rather kind of forget all that. So it's really hard to find uh, old Driscoll videos from the Gospel Coalition sometimes. <laughs> Certain ones that I know I've seen and I just can't find them, you know, like they've been scrubbed from the internet in some capacity. I know some people have saved some of them. So, so we'll have some to react to at some point. And, and Driscoll is no doubt seek has, has sought to maintain control of his image online. And so, you know, it's hard to say how much probably the gospel coalition did it scrubbing, but probably Driscoll had people do scrubbing on his part. As we've mentioned, Mark, we still would love to have you on the show. And Michael and I have said a lot of positive things about him. Here's, here's the thing though. You know, it's impressive how badly he was able to wreck a church without a gross, obvious, like, you know, like what you would normally think of disqualifying a pastor, adultery, or, or in James McDonald's case, apparently talking about contracting a hitman. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is an episode all to its own. Who the heck is this guy? I, I, I can't even, I'm sorry. It turns pro- out that this guy who was kind of in these circles uh, was actually a comic book supervillain the entire time. I, I, I probably shouldn't have gone there, but <laughs> I mean, guys, that... Uh, I don't know what to say about that, but anyways, but Driscoll without those things happening, literally dismantled a more than 10,000 person mega church in Seattle by how he acted. I mean, that is, that is impressively bad. So, so all I want, you know, so everyone knows as much as much positive as I do believe Michael and I may continue to say that's bad. And, and whatever the attempts were made for a reconciliation plan, those were ignored. So I, I don't know why I don't know what was, I don't know what was going on. I kind of stopped following him at that point, but that's bad. Yeah. It got really nasty, really, really ugly. And ugly enough that it did have to be addressed by a lot of these other figures, right? So this is why John Piper has to be asked about it and has to respond in some capacity. Uh, it's just inevitable. So, so Michael is this, and I find Driscoll to be a hard case. And again, this is why actually I think he's an interesting figure because he's actually, he's actually interesting, right? Like we'll talk through, uh, you know, Joshua Harris's letter. We'll talk through these things, but the guy's not a Christian unless he wants to come on and tell us how Calvinism drove him to that. And you're more than welcome. You're, you're welcome. Would we, love to we, have you. But that's not very interesting. Driscoll is interesting. But Michael, do you think, I think Driscoll, Driscoll is clearly, right. So Driscoll is not in category one. You can't say his name unless you're talking like in hushed tones about the cursing pastor who. Right who we should have known all along that this is how this was going to end or, you know, whatever. MacArthur knew. Right. MacArthur did know. He knew. He just knew. Yeah. <laughs> MacArthur. What a great guy. Too bad. He, he's not so welcome on those conference stages anymore either. Uh, but 
is he is Driscoll? Do we put Driscoll in just the category of rebranding, or is Driscoll gone? What do you? How are you categorizing his fall? He's he is gone from the circles that he was popular in, or at least mostly, not exclusively, but like for the most part, right? Those of us like you and I who like we listen to every sermon and like everything that was put out, right? Like uh, that ended really abruptly and pretty quick, right? Over the course of, I don't know how long, I mean, over the course of, I can just like, there's like a haze around, you know, uh, the elephant room and real marriage and then all the stuff happening with Acts 29. And then like, it's just all kind of this garbled mess kind of at the end. It just seemed like it went really quick. Like once it started to go down, things just went really fast. Far from gone at the same time. He, I, I would put him in the category of rebrand for sure. And we've talked about how he recently did appear on uh, Stephen Crowder show, which is like the, the largest uh, news. I don't know if you call it news. Like I late think night. Technically, like I think they call themselves now the largest YouTube news channel. Hmm. Right. So like that's, that's a big deal right? Where you're getting millions and millions of views on a video and Mark Driscoll's now all of a sudden there. That's a, like, he's back. Maybe he was, I don't think he was ever gone, gone because he did end up starting another church and being a part of that for a while. Uh, pretty quick after that, everything went down in Seattle, but, uh, he definitely is not, is not in the same circuits with the same people that he was before. Right. And, and as we leave on Driscoll, you know, I guess because Michael and I have talked about him so much, perhaps it is appropriate for this to be the first name where I'm just saying, where we're saying, yeah, we don't endorse the ministry. Well, Pastor Michael, we named some names. Where, where does a person who's go from here who's just heard all of the people who like us? may have had a big impact in their life go from go from here now we i think kind of built it up like we were just going to absolutely destroy these people and maybe there will be a time for matt to do that i will remain (laughs) balanced and uh obviously keep those doors open in case i want some book endorsements someday but uh you know it is easy to look back on on trends within the church whether that be you know, from a much more distant history or whether that be more recent with things like the new Calvinism and, and some of these men who either abandoned the ministry or, or kind of, uh, you know, saw some kind of implosion and to see what, where things stand now and think what happened, why was that? And also to lose hope a little bit, right? Because, uh, when you really look at this stuff, what you recognize is that the best of us, right? The most influential of us, those who have the, the largest of, of ministries and, and impacts on the world and the church are sinful and they make major mistakes. And what do you, what do you do with that? How do you, Matt, how do you deal with the fact that uh, these men are, no holier or uh, less sinful than others. I think we need to accept critique as part of the reality of the sinful world. 
the reason I can be rebuked, the reason Pastor Michael's sermons can be critiqued by his session of elders is because Michael says things wrong. I sin, you sin. Everyone we just talked through, Mark Triscoll, John Piper, Ligon Duncan, all of these men sin and they would freely admit it, I'm sure. And they all say wrong things. And you know what? It's okay. I mean, it's in one sense, it's not okay. Sin and error are serious, which is why we're, we're doing this. But God's plan includes those things, is over, under, and through those things for his glory and our good, and Christ's forgiveness is enough. And so we don't need to panic when we hear someone say like, you know, I don't think Tim Keller's really hitting on all cylinders anymore. That doesn't change the the way the book Prodigal God functioned in your Christian growth, but it does hopefully move you from a place of dependence on others, which is natural for children, for those immature in our families and in the faith, to a place where you are you are just rooted and grounded on God himself. John Steinbeck in East of Eden toward the beginning, I'm not going to give an exact quote cause I don't know an exact quote, but uh, he's speaking about how children look up to parents and how to, to children, often parents are like gods, lowercase G. And uh, there's always a moment where you have kind of the falling of the gods where you have this moment in life when you recognize and see my father is sinful and he doesn't know everything and he makes mistakes and he's not actually the strongest man in the world. Uh, and I think a lot of times that happens with us when it comes to ministry leaders, uh, especially because we are uh, in our generation, especially so many of us uh, were seeking you know, basically fathers, right? We've talked about this in the past. We were seeking for kind of uh, role models to look up to, to teach us how to live and what to do in the faith. And that's natural and it's good. And what can happen though is then when those men fail, when they fall, uh, when, when they don't turn out how we expected them to, it can be easy to then start to become hopeless, right? Like if, man, if that person could make such a big mistake. Somebody who had such an influence on my life and, and changed so much of, of who I am, what hope is there for me? I want you to know that there is hope for you. And it's actually because of the fact that uh, the, the same God who used broken vessels in the past, in your past, and how you uh, learned and grew, uh, the same God who uh, was able to turn even sinful men like that into preachers that you would listen to, that you learned from, that you grew because of uh, that same God is able to work through you, though you yourself are sinful, right? This is uh, Van Til's line that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. This is how God works. The message of the gospel is that Christ came to save sinners. Uh, and the hope 
that we have even in ministry and in life, in raising our families, in uh, the way that we influence our friends and coworkers, uh, the hope that we have in that, in God using us for ministry is not in that we will never fail. It is not in that we are going to have it all together to always say the right thing, to never make a mistake. It is not that we have our theology down and it is exactly right and it will never change. The hope is that Christ is at work in it, that God will be glorified, that his word will not return to him empty, that it will accomplish everything that he wants it to accomplish. The hope is in him. It is not in us. And so even when we see the sin and the fallen nature coming out of those that we look up to, that we trust, that we learn from, even in that, we can be reminded that God is the one in whom we should place our hope and our trust. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review this podcast. I will so, let you, I'll, I'll just let you be the bad guy. I'll let, I will just defend all of them and I will let you be the bad guy attacking people's heroes. Yep.